Amen. Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of John, the Gospel of John. John chapter 15. I guess I better tell you where to open it, John, right? John chapter 15. And uh, we're, I'm excited to be here on this second message. What can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, Psalm 11, 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Would you stand with me in reverence and honor of God's Word? We'll read in John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to enable me to preach. God, I need you this hour. I need you right now. We all need you. And Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work in our midst. Lord, move us from just being complacent Christians to being serving, thriving, abiding Christians for your glory. Lord, you know I cannot do this without you. I ask you for your help. And I pray, Lord, if there's one here that's not saved, he or she would be saved before it's everlastingly too late. Again, we call upon your name and ask you for your spirit to move amongst us. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Last week we learned that what the righteous can do, the first thing we can do is to be filled with the spirit. To be filled with the spirit. Today, we're going to learn the second thing, which is to be fruitful. Be fruitful. What is a fruitful life. Well, fruit simply is produced in the life of the believer by the Holy Spirit, which affects the character and the conduct of us making us Christ-like. But I want you to notice something clearly about this text. You will never see in this text that you and I are to produce our own fruit. We are to bear His fruit. We are to bring forth much fruit, which is the same Greek word for bear. 
Beareth, it means to carry. It means to, to hold, to carry. We are simply carriers of the fruit that He produces in our lives. And that is very important that we understand that right from the get-go. This is a work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We submitted last week, we talked about being filled with the Spirit. We're submitted and filled with the Spirit. God is going to make us fruitful Christians. He is going to make us fruitful Christians. But now there are some conditions in this text that must be met if you and I are going to be filled with the Spirit and be fruitful Christians. Number one, cleansing. Cleansing. Uh, in John chapter 15, verses 2 and 3, and listen back to verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is a husband. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth much fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now again, we do not produce the fruit. We bear. The branch doesn't produce the fruit. The vine does. The branch just bears the fruit. We just hold the fruit. We just carry the fruit. And he says if we're going to be fruitful, then we have to be clean. We have to be clean. Now, when you and I trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were forgiven of all our sins. Past, present, and future. And the Bible says that we are forgiven in the sense that we are free from the demands of the law. We're free. We've been forgiven. We're clean. But daily, we mess up. Weekly, we mess up. Many times in our life, we mess up. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's this one-time cleaning that happens when we're saved, but then the continual cleansing when we confess our sins to him. And let me just say, confession is not laying our head on the pillow at night and saying, Lord, forgive me of all my sins today. Confession simply means that I am saying the same thing about this sin that God says. If I lied, I need to come clean to God. God, I went against you. I lied. I told a flat lie. We don't have to go to God and say, God, well, you know, I fabricated the truth. Listen, no, we go to God and tell him the truth. I lied. And a half truth is still a lie. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. Got one, got one person here that loves the truth. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know y'all love the truth. First John 1 John 1.9. Let me just ask you to turn over to John chapter 13 and verse 10. Just a, a page over if you've got a Schofield Bible. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. Now, I, what I want to do is I want to read. Schofield has a wonderful note on this, and I'm reading out, right out of his study Bible what he says about this. And just pay close attention, and maybe you'll catch this. The underlying imagery is of an Oriental returning from the public baths to his house. His feet would contract defilement and require cleansing, but not his body. So the believer is cleansed as before the law from all sin once for all. But needs ever to bring his daily sins to the Father in confession that he may abide in unbroken fellowship with the Father and with the Son. The blood of Christ answers forever to all 
the law could say as to the believer's guilt. But he needs constant cleansing from the defilement of sin. Did you get that? We need that constant cleansing from the defilement of sin. He says, typically, the order of approach to the presence of God was first the brazen altar of sacrifice and then the ladder of cleansing. Christ cannot have communion with the defiled saint, but he can and will cleanse him. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. The thought to know that you and I can have cleansing from Jesus, that we can have that unbroken fellowship with God through Jesus Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's why we confess. That's why we confess our sins. And if we're going to be filled with the Spirit and we're going to be fruitful, we have to be clean. Guys, listen to me. It's not popular to preach on sin in churches today. But what was sin 20 years ago is still sin today. We're so messed up in our society. And what happens is, there's a, there's a, I'm watching this and I, I'm figuring this out. There's a desensitizing to truth. And how it happens is, it begins to make jokes about it and get us laughing about it, even though we don't participate in it, but we, we, we see it over there, we laugh about it, and it's no big deal. But listen, it is a big deal to God. Right. And then we're being ever so bombarded with it, we become, we, it don't bother us anymore. Yeah. It doesn't bother us. And we bring it in, and we take it in, and they're, they're saying, oh, it's not so bad. It started out with cohabitation. All these sitcoms. Murphy Brown attacked marriage and we thought, oh, it's just a, a Hollywood. But all these sitcoms brought in cohabitation and said, you don't need to be married. It was an attack on marriage. And it was funny, so we watched the shows and we laughed with them and, and we went through all that they went through. And we began to become desensitized to it. And it became normal to us. And God says it's still a sin. It's still a sin. And then they move from that into same-sex marriage. And then to two men making out on TV and stuff. And where it's not us, it's funny. They make jokes about it and we laugh about it. It's a funny show. It's no big deal. We're being desensitized to it. And we're taking it in. And we need to be clean. Because God says it's sin. And in our churches, we stopped preaching against sin and started preaching about how you can have everything you want and how you can feel good about yourself and all this stuff. We need to preach the cleansing power of Jesus Christ and His blood and confessing our sins. We need that. We need to sensitize to sin. We need that the cleansing, that cleansing from the defilement of the world. Secondly, he says, abiding. Look at verse 4. Abide in me. Abide in me. Abiding has to do with fellowship. Allowing nothing to hinder our fellowship with Christ through the Holy Spirit. Not allowing anything to separate us from Him. Guys, can you see that Revelation 3.20 is not a salvation passage? It's a church passage. And the church of the Revelation, they become so enamored with all that they had and all the things that the world had to offer that Jesus Christ was pushed out of the church and he stands and he knocks on the door of the church and he says, if any man will open the door, I'll come in and I'll sup with him. 
It's a church passage. The church has forced him out. It's no longer about abiding in fellowship with Christ. It's no longer about Christ being our all in all. It's no longer about that. It's about our feelings and about all these other super, uh, super materialistic things that we think are great that will help us. Anybody have a garage like mine? You can't even walk through the blasted thing? How many of us have stuff that we had to have and we had it and we got it and we're like, I don't even know where it is. We're so materialistically driven that abiding in Christ and fellowship with Jesus is not important to us anymore. We don't know how to meditate. We think meditation began with Buddha. It didn't begin with Buddha. Joshua said, you'll have good success if you meditate on the Word day and night. That's a Bible thing. It's 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 a communing with God. It's a fellowship with Jesus Christ. We'd rather have fellowship with a bunch of people around the television than we would with the God of all glory. If we want to be filled with the Spirit, if we want to be fruitful Christians, we must learn to abide in Him. Consciously. Everywhere we go. Go with Christ. You know, we talk about great men. They say that uh, A.W. Tozer was such a prayer. They said that he would go and clock his door and he would be on his face prostrate before God praying for hours. And people said that you could listen to the door and there would be movement in there and there would be shadows and they didn't know what was going on in there. They talk about great prayers. But let me tell you something. What about those saints who prayed everywhere they were? While they were driving in the car? Whether they're going to the Walmart, going to work, wherever it is, whatever situation, they're in communication with the Holy Spirit, with God through the Holy Spirit. Abiding, dwelling, remaining in Christ, in His presence. Asking Him to fill you. Asking Him to make you fruitful. Abiding in Him. We're talking less about Christ in our churches and more about all this other foolishness. John, 1 John 1.3 says, That which we have seen and declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. One of my songs I like really well is I bow on my knees and cry holy. He talks about going to heaven. And he saw Timothy and Mark. He says, But I feel Timothy one of those fellows. But I want to see Jesus. For He's the one who died for me. For the God, we want to get back and see Jesus more than we want to see anyone else. The third condition is obedience. Absolute obedience. Listen to me. Partial obedience is not obedience at all. I've often thought about this, and this is hilarious. In our churches today, here's what we're doing. It's like me telling... My son, go clean your room. Two hours later, I come back, and his room's not clean. And I say, well, why didn't you clean your room? And he said, well, Dad, listen, uh, it's interesting. I studied what you told me forwards and backwards. I broke down the words you said. I know them. I quoted them. I learned everything you said. I can know it from front to the end. Whatever you can tell me, whatever part, I can tell you exactly what you said. But your room's not clean. That's the way Christians are. Jesus is coming back and He's given us obedient commandments in the Scripture that we are to obey. 
And we tell the Lord, we understand what they are. We've studied them, we've dissected them, we've broken down the Greek, we exegeted them, we know all this stuff. But Jesus said, did you do it? Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only. Partial obedience is disobedience. And we've, we've dethroned God in our churches. We certainly have dethroned Him in our land. But we've dethroned God in our churches. God's no longer in control. He's no longer the authority. Friends, I'm here to tell you, whether you recognize it or not, God's Word is settled in heaven. That one preacher used to say, God's Word is settled in heaven, and I, I believe it. And the one preacher said, Son, God's Word settled in heaven whether you believe it or not. Obedience. One of the men who wrote the notes for the New King James Study Bible for 1 John, the study notes, it said that it was a wonderful work. Scholars applauded his efforts. But in the course of his writing it, he had an extramarital affair that came out afterwards. And you want to know what the bad thing about it was? That might have been his most crowning work that he did. But he will not be rewarded for it. Because he lived in disobedience to God. Guys, listen. I've known men and women who've been in church for 15, 20 years. Served the Lord admirably. And one, one time, disobedience gets in. And they don't deal with it. And they let it go, and it takes them down that road. And when it takes you down that road, you go down that road, and you end up where that road takes you. And I've seen them fall, and fall hard, many times, because of a little piece of partial obedience. No, listen to me. Abandon it, guys. Raise up your hands. Surrender to the will of God. Be obedient. I'm telling you, I believe the Scriptures, and I believe, if you believe the Bible, we are now closer to the Lord's return than we've ever been. And you and I are going to meet Him one day face to face. And we're going to see our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will look at His nail-pierced hands. And we will see the scars on His side. And we will, we will give an account to Him for how we were since we were saved. And I can promise you this. Based on the authority of the Scripture, partial obedience is disobedience. It's disobedience. And you and I can never be filled with the Spirit. We can never be fruitful Christians if we are disobedient. And let me just say this. Prayer is not an excuse. If God's Word says to do this, you do it. You don't pray about it. I'm praying about it, preacher. Come on, that is a cop-out. You don't pray about it. Well, I'm waiting to be convicted. You don't, you don't need to be convicted. God's Word already said it. It's, it's not that difficult. God's Word already said it. Well, preacher, I, I'm not going to do this until I really pray about it first. It's in the Word. You don't have to pray about it. Just be obedient. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices... As in obeying the voice of the Lord? Question mark. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than 
fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience. Those are the conditions. Number two, the characteristics of a fruitful life. There are some characteristics that when you and I are filled with the Spirit and God is producing fruit in our lives, there are some characteristics. You're familiar with these in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, guiltiness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. You know these. You know these nine. The fruit of the Spirit. We talked about it. This is what the Holy Spirit cultivates in our lives. There are three, three breakdowns of three of these graces of peace. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, you have all nine. But there's three breakdowns. Number one, fruit or character of the inward man. Love, joy, and peace. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, we think that we have to love, that we have to be joyful. And there's a lot of Christians who act joyful, but they're really not joyful and we think that we have to produce our own peace. But here's the thing. Notice the progression. If you and I are filled with the Spirit, and we are being fruitful and the conditions are met, we're clean, we're abiding, we're obeying, love is going to be evident in our lives. You know why? Because love's not a feeling, love's a choice. And the problem is, these kids are growing up watching TV. Used to be, back in the day, women would read these romance called Harlequin romance novels or something. And that's all fake. Yeah. Well, I... <laughs> it's fake. We live in a generation that is loves fake over reality. You can put these things on and ride a roller coaster. These glasses. And, and you can put it on and go in a scary house and fight all these people and do all this stuff. I ain't watching that stuff. And y'all think I'm crazy for preaching against it. But I'm going to tell you, we're getting led away from reality by fantasy. Remember Tattoo? Fantasy Island? The plane? The plane? Yeah. You all young people are like, what? <laughs> fantasy Island. Everything's a fantasy. We don't understand the real. We don't know what love is. Love is a commitment. It has no bearing on what you do. Aren't you glad? Jesus Christ was committed to saving us. And it had no bearing on what we did. It's because of His grace and His mercy. And His love towards us. See, love is more of who you are than what you do. Love is who you are. Joy. If you're if you are filled with the Spirit and you are clean and you're uh, uh, abiding in Him and you're obeying Him, you're going to be joyful. Let me ask you a question: Why in the world do you want to go to heaven if you don't want to be in church with God's people? I'll just be honest with you: It's a good thing I'm not God. Because there were two people in the church that were fighting, didn't like each other. Roommates. <laughs> Eternity's a long time to learn to love somebody. 
It's a good thing I'm not God. Some of you have already had a whooping long time ago. Listen to me. Why are we not so joyful? Christians, I'll tell you why. Because we bought into the world and we're trying to fit God into the world. We're trying to make God fit our mold. We're not consecrated to Him. We're not seeking Him. We're not abiding in Him. We're trying to be like the world and be popular. The inward man is full of love, joy, and peace. How is it? How is it that all the martyrs that gave their lives for the cause of Christ can do it because they had the fruit of the Spirit on the inside? They had love, joy, and peace. How is it that when the guillotine was falling on the head of those martyrs, some of them said, my only regret is that I don't have more than one life to live for Jesus Christ. More than one Guys, listen to me. The reason we don't have joy in our lives, the reason we don't have love in our lives, the reason we don't have any peace is because we're not cleansed daily. We're not abiding in Him. We're not obedient. Jesus said, peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. It's separate. It's different than the world gives. Their peace is a piece of this and a piece of that. Do we get the whole thing? God says, the peace I give you passes all understanding. The inward man. How's your inward man? Is there fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Are you carrying fruit that the Holy Spirit is producing in your life of love, joy, and peace? How about character towards our fellow men? Long-suffering. Oh, yes, we love that. Forbearance or patience. Anybody here patience? It's like the one fellow said, Lord, give me patience and hurry up. Need it now? By the way, how many of us have been sitting at a, this is not a rabbit trail, I promise. How many of us have been sitting at a red light and the light changes in the car in front of us? You have to honk three times for them to go because they're on their phone. We can't sit still without even being on our phone for one minute. One minute. You were a slave to that thing in your hand and you said, hey, I can stop any time. I bet you you couldn't. You're a slave to it. I'm a slave to it. it technology is doing what it, was, what it was created to do. Your attention, your time, your affection, your money, your God. King set in a red light without texting somebody or strolling through and looking, jump. And I'm guilty. But you know what? We can, be, we can confess our sin and we can be cleansed. I'm going. That wasn't right. That was right. Number two, gentleness. Kindness. Kindness. You know, someone has said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it that speaks more loudly. You could look at a dog and you can say, you were just the ugliest, dumbest dog I've ever seen in my life. And that dog will just bask in it. <laughs> and you can look at that dog and you can say, You're the best dog I've ever had! And that dog will just hunker down. Why? It's because of how you said it. 
I got him to say that pass. I'm wrong. Kindness. One person has said, be weary of kids, or be weary of people that kids and dogs do not like. Pretty good judge of character. How are you, kindness? Maybe how you treat someone that's beneath you would reveal that. There's a way that we're to treat people that God says is right. We're to be salt and light. And if we're abiding in Christ, if we're obedient and we're cleansing daily, we're confessing our sins, and we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to be kind to people. It takes no more effort to be kind to someone than it does to be unkind. You don't know what they've done to me. I can't control what they've done to you. You can't control what they've done to you. But it does resolve, it does absolve your ability or your responsibility to do what God's called you to do. Be kind. Goodness, virtue. Do the right thing. When no one looks, do the right thing. Someone has said, what you do when you're alone, that is who you are and no more. And then the last one is character towards God. Faith, meekness, temperance. You know what faith is? Faith is believing without seeing. How about meekness? Meekness is humility. It's a gentleness about you. It doesn't mean weakness. It means humility. It means power under control. And then I'm going to get a big one on this. Temperance. You know what temperance is, don't you? Self-control. How many of us can say, I'm full of self-control? The cookie jar would make a difference. Now, these, these nine graces are the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. These ought to be evident in us. Guys, we're not known by our dress. And, and you go to a church and, and people are there and they're dressed all fancy and, and uh, you know, they act all spiritual and people go away and say, man, that church is really spiritual. But God knows and God judges us against these nine characteristics of Jesus Christ. You'll find all these in Jesus. And he looks at us from every angle. And he sees all and he knows all. And he, he cannot be fooled. You cannot snow God. You cannot trip him. Now, I want to go back to John and, and, and finish here, if you would. John chapter 15. There's a conclusion that he gives in this passage of Scripture. There's a progression. There's fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. What I want you to see is God never expects us to get to the place on this earth where we think we have arrived and we stop growing in grace. You'll not find that in Scripture. Notice with me in verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. That word taken away there is it's kind of confusing. Some people would have the idea that it would, it would be uh, taken and, and they lose their salvation. That's not what it means. The word actually means process. He props it up. You ever seen an apple farm or apple orchard, I should say, and there's apples falling? 
And when, before they fall, sometimes they go way down. And if they touch the ground, they'll spoil. So what do they do? They come in with a prop rod and they prop it up. That's the idea behind that Greek word. Props it up. And then he purges the ones that bear fruit. But everyone in this passage, speaking to believers, everyone is to bear fruit. Everyone is to have fruit produced in their lives of the Holy Spirit. That's Bible 101. You're to have this fruit. But God is not content. Jesus is not content with us remaining in fruit. He wants us to move from fruit to, to more fruit. Look at verse 2. He purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. Some people ask me, Pastor, why am I going through this? Did you ever think that maybe he's purging you? Maybe he's cutting off the bad ends. Maybe he's pruning you. He's doing something in your life so that you, because you stayed in fruit for so long, that you need to go to more fruit, but you wouldn't do it any other way. So he has to prune you to get you to go to more fruit. Progressing. But he doesn't want you to stay in more fruit. He wants you to move from more fruit to much fruit. Now you are clean, verse 3, through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. That bringeth forth is the same Greek word for bear. It means to carry. To carry. If Jesus called you home today, would you carry your fruit to Him? Are you stuck in the fruit stage and you're refusing to go to, to more fruit because it's comfortable there? Because you like it. The water's nice and warm. Maybe God's going to turn the fire up. And maybe God's going to start purging and pruning in your life so that He can move you from fruit to more fruit. But don't get too comfortable in more fruit. Because God wants to move you from more fruit to much fruit. Why? Why does God want to do that? Because He says, Herein is my Father glorified, verse 8, that ye bear much fruit. The whole point of this is Jesus Christ loves you just the way you are, but He loves you too much to allow you to stay that way. He wants you to be just like Him. If heaven were the goal, He would have taken us to heaven when we got saved. But heaven is not the goal. If you're saved, there's nowhere else you're going but to heaven. The reason we are here is so that the Holy Spirit can work in our lives to produce fruit and move us from fruit to more fruit. To much fruit. And that's what we need today. I got in the car to come to church this morning and the speaker on the radio was speaking about the fruit of the Spirit. And I thought, man, this is great. I'm going to be speaking, I've been preaching on this and I know I'll be there. And one of his statements really got me thinking. He says this. When's the last time Someone wanted to know Jesus Christ personally because of the fruit you were bearing. I said, wow. 
probably know some people that don't because of the fruit I'm bearing. But this is how the Father's glorified. Oh, I want to glorify the Father. Listen, I, I appreciate the t-shirts. I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the bracelets. I appreciate the memes. But there's more to glorifying God than that. Amen. According to Scripture, we say, I want to glorify God. Yeah. Well, you want to glorify God? Show us your fruit. Show us your fruit. Is the Holy Spirit producing fruit in your life? You say, well, well, what do I do? He's not producing fruit. What do I do? Well, listen, remember, this can only be accomplished through Jesus Christ. This is the work He does in you. If He's not producing fruit in you, then guess what? You are in the way. You've got to get out of the way. You have to get out of the way. This can only be produced in the life of the believer. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. That constant fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Has your fellowship grown kind of cold with Him? Are you only calling on God when you're in trouble and you need Him? You see, this is a lifelong progression of moving from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. You never arrive. We're constantly striving to go one step further in the grace of God. And I want to tell you, either you're moving forward or you're not. There's no gray area. Well, I'm praying about it. You're not moving forward. Well, I'm really considering it. You're not moving forward. Those are yet but excuses. What are you afraid of? You know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. This requires surrender and devotion. Surrender and devotion. We can be spirit-filled, fruit-bearing Christians. Because God's Word says we can. But the question I want to ask you is, do you want to be a spirit-filled, fruitful Christian? Do you want it? And if you say, yes, I want it, then my second question is this. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be a faithful Christian? A fruitful Christian, excuse me. And the last thing I would say, are you willing to start right now? Because listen, the danger of delay. Do you know that hell is full of souls right now who delayed that one time they heard the gospel invitation? Hell is full. And the devil doesn't care about anything but getting you to delay. If he can get you to delay, anything other than yes is no. If God's speaking to you and asking you to come and asking you to surrender something in your life and you're saying, wait a minute, Lord, I'm thinking about it. I'm trying to get up the courage. What you're doing is you're delaying and you are saying no. Anything other than yes is no. It always kind of makes me feel, ooh, when a guy asks a woman to marry him on TV. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what does she say? I don't know. In front of everybody, you know? Ooh. Makes me a little nervous. I mean, can you imagine you're up here, the preacher man standing here and you're getting married and looks over to your spouse and says, will you love and honor and cherish all the days of your life? And, I, don't, I don't know about that preacher. Would that, would that, that person, 
the other on the other side say, well, yeah, that means yes. No. She'd say, that means no. Yet we do it to God all the time. I'm thinking about Lord. Maybe, maybe I can uh, do this. I gotta get to the point now. You don't need courage. Courage is an overused word. Because I'll tell you, it's a bunch of hooey. What you need to do is you need to surrender. You need to give up all pretenses. You need to quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to say, you know, well, you know, what if someone forget it? Stop it. Stop. Come. I'm coming. I don't know. Lord, I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death. Listen, I don't know about you, but anytime God's asked me to do something or led me to do something that was out of my wheelhouse, I'm scared to death. People ask me to go visit someone I've never met before and go witness to them. I'm scared to death. I don't know what in the world's going to happen. It doesn't. You've got Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. We can be fruitful. But do you want to be? Do you want to? And if you want to, are you willing to do whatever it takes right now? Are you willing to do it now? Time to time, someone will come into the office and I'll speak to them. Maybe they have a particular sin and they're asking about it. One of my first questions is, if I can show you in the Bible where it's wrong, are you willing right now to stop? And if they say no, then I, it does me no good. We can sit here for an hour and I can listen to you and it's not going to do you one bit of good. That's like going to the doctor, telling the doctor how you feel, and the doctor says, I'm going to give you this prescription. Are you going to take a prescription? You say, no, but I just want to tell you how I feel. See, what you want is you want misery, and you want company in your misery. That's what you want. You want someone to go along with you and tell you it's okay to be living in that sin. Is what you want. You're not willing right now to break it off and stop casting the pearl before the swine. If you're not ready, it's foolish to give it. How many of you are ready today stop trying to figure all this out to just step forward in faith and say, God, I've asked you to fill me with the Spirit. I'm ready for the next step. I want to move to fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And I know that there's some things in my life i got to do. I know that I need to be cleansed. I need to confess my sin. I know that I need to abide in you daily. I need to have that constant stream of fellowship with you. And I know that I need to be obedient. And I'm willing to do that, Lord. That's all i got right now. And I bring it and I give it to you. Yes, I'm scared to death. Yes, I don't know the next step. But I'm willing to come and surrender to you. Because I want to be a fruitful Christian. If you are willing to do that and you'll come today, I bet you that God will step up. And he will take care of your every need. He will help you. All you have to do is surrender. Remember, all the branch has to do is stay connected to the vine. He's not asking you to conjure this up yourself. Just stay connected to Him. He's giving you everything you need to know here. Won't you come? Would you bow with me?